This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank Giving Thought, in which we look at big themes and issues to do with philanthropy and the work of civil society. Uh, I'm your host, Rod Davis, uh, still on my own, although good news for regular followers of the podcast. I have, I think, fingers crossed, managed to line up some potential interviewees uh, for future episodes. So uh, watch this space. I haven't actually done the interviews yet, uh, so that could all fall apart, but um, I'm hopeful. Um, So in this episode, number 22, we are going to be asking, is philanthropy progressive? Um, It's one of those questions I think is really interesting, but we probably need to do a bit of uh, clarification and uh, terminology uh, before we get started to make it clear exactly what we're talking about. So the term progressive gets bandied around quite a lot nowadays in kind of discussions of, of politics and current affairs and those sorts of things. But it's not always quite clear either what it means or that everybody's got a shared understanding of what it means. So I guess it's uh, worth saying a bit about that um, up front. Um, We have mentioned the idea of um, things being progressive uh, in the past on this podcast in the context of taxation. Um, And that's actually one place where there's probably a bit more of a fixed definition. So progressive taxation is generally agreed to be taxation and tax policies which ensure that the burden of uh, of paying for things falls primarily on those who can most afford it uh, and that's contrasted with regressive tax policies where the burden of taxation falls primarily on those on the lowest incomes who can least afford it um it's less clear usually p- precisely what progressive means when we're talking about politics um in general terms it sort of means you're in favor of progress obviously Uh, and of change and of efforts to make society better Um, and this tends to be contrasted with conservative um, usually small c conservative and that is um, a distinction that has been around for probably a bit longer in in the US where the progressive movement is more of a sort of established thing that is in the UK but it certainly has become part of the political lexicon here in the UK as well. Um, it certainly was part of the narrative of New Labour under Tony Blair, who tried to pitch themselves as a progressive party, I think, to avoid using terms like socialist or left wing. Um, and then interestingly, it was co-opted by the sort of centre ground Tories under David Cameron um, around the, the time of the sort of big society general, all these kinds of things in 2008 onwards and when they came into power with the coalition government in 2010 they tried to pitch themselves as taking over the mantle of being progressives from um, from the sort of new labor center ground i guess there's a a follow-on question if we're reasonably comfortable with that um, about why we should care whether or not philanthropy is progressive and i'll come on to that um, a bit later but just to say up front, I mean, the reason that, that I particularly care, I guess, and why I think this is interesting is 
when I wrote my book a couple of years ago, which um, I may or may not have mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, although to be honest, I think I've been quite reserved in the number of times that I've name dropped my own book. Um, but that book's called Public Good by Private Means, How Philanthropy Shapes Britain. It's all about the kind of history of philanthropy in the UK and, and more widely and what it tells us about policy uh, around philanthropy today. Um, but I, in that, I sort of outlined eight key principles I thought of um, around philanthropy policymaking. And one of those is uh, that philanthropy should be progressive. Um, now, it's pretty clear to me, it was at the time and it very much is now, that that's by far the most normative of the principles that I came up with in the sense that it's definitely not a descriptive law. It's kind of saying, you know, espousing an opinion about how things should be. And uh, last year, I did a lecture sort of based on stuff in my book for the Cass Business School master's course uh, on philanthropy and, and grant making, where I kind of ran through these these um, uh, principles of philanthropy policymaking. And that was definitely <laughs> the one that I got pulled up on most. Um, and it was a quite an enjoyable debate, actually, between people who sort of disagreed with the principle or thought, you know, that actually philanthropy was was or wasn't uh, progressive or should or shouldn't be. And I, I thought this was a really interesting uh, discussion, hence the fact that uh, I wanted to talk about it today on the podcast. Before we go on to the, the next section, I just want to kind of outline maybe uh, a quick case for why I think you, you can argue that philanthropy is progressive. Um, and so I, said, I guess this centers around the idea, or well, two things. Um, one is when you look at the causes that philanthropy itself um, supports, there are some very strong examples of causes that have been driven forward by philanthropic support um, historically and, and in more modern contexts that are clearly the sorts of examples of things that you would put forward as, as social progress. So, you know, well-established examples are things like um, the women's suffrage movement, um, the the anti-slavery movement before that, um, the move uh, towards establishing gay and lesbian rights, um, the civil rights movement in the US, all of these are movements that to one degree or another were underpinned by philanthropy and voluntary action um, in the face, it has to be said often, of kind of cultural and governmental um, resistance. The other sense in which I think it's interesting to think about philanthropy as a tool of progress is less about the causes that are supported and more about the the act of philanthropy itself. Um, so this is probably something that you see put forward less often as, a, as an argument. But I think there's there's some kind of interesting ideas here about the way in which voluntary action can actually move forward social progress by making for a more inclusive society. Um, I always think um, around this argument of a quote from the Nathan Committee, which was a very interesting and uh, very kind of forward-looking report into the voluntary sector here in the UK, back in 1952, I think, just after the establishment of the NHS and the welfare state. But one of the things that they said in that was that um, philanthropy and charitable giving and volunteering would continue uh, to have relevance because it had proved over time sort of one of the, the gateways for people to get um, involved in the wider democratic system and, and in society. Um, and they referred to it there as the uh, the nursery school for democracy, which which I very much liked. I just also, uh, another quote that I think is quite a nice one, um, is from a, a charity reformer called Thomas Hare, who gave a speech in 1869 talking about the, the importance of philanthropy as a tool for 
for affecting social change. Um, and I just quite like at the, the end of this quote, um, he said uh, that uh, the most important steps in human progress may be opposed to the prejudices, not only of the multitude, but even of the learned and leaders of thought in a particular epoch. Um, and he he said, as such, I regard endowments as an important element in the experimental branches of political and social science. So again, kind of making that case that actually philanthropy can go against the grain uh, and drive things forward in a progressive fashion, you know, against the sort of resistance of um, of those who seek to defend the status quo. Okay, that's that's the first section done with. In the, the next section, we're going to go on and look at the arguments uh, perhaps against um, why one might think philanthropy is progressive. So stay tuned for that. And we are back. Um, I've got my notes in front of me. I've mildly scalded my mouth on an extremely hot cup of coffee. So I think we're all good to go. And um, so in this section, um, as I said just before the break, what I wanted to do was go on and look at the case or the various cases that can be made against the idea that philanthropy is progressive. Um, the first thing to say is... Again, let's think about some of the the causes, not the sort of activity of philanthropy itself. And the first one, probably slightly less controversial one, is what about the the very well known and for sort of very well established uses of philanthropy that are clearly about preserving the status quo in some sense. So I'm thinking here of things like conservation of the natural environment or heritage. Um, which are, you know, very, very legitimate and well-established um, charitable or philanthropic causes. But they seem almost by definition not to be about progress, but instead about small-c conservatism or, as I say, protecting the status quo. So can these arguably be said to fit in with the thesis that philanthropy is progressive? I guess if you look back at the history of these movements, as with many things, you know, they seem very much part of the establishment now and kind of accepted wisdom because that's the world in which we live but actually the the history of the movements that resulted in things like the idea of national parks or the conservation movements in the UK were quite radical and and social reformers and people like Octavia Hill were very heavily involved you know a lot of this was about uh taking land you know that otherwise would have perhaps been owned by private landowners or kind of maintained the wealth base of the the landed aristocracy in the UK and arguing that some of it should be taken instead into public ownership and established as a system of natural parks that could be conserved for the benefit of all and actually that's a pretty deeply progressive idea and I guess again nowadays in the face of one form of progress which is you know progress through housing development and relentless economic growth it's not necessarily true that those who seek to defend the natural world against that are kind of pollyannaish or sort of you know canute like fighting against the tide and that they are resisting the forces of progress i think there's a reasonable argument to be made that they represent a different form of progress which is having a view of the responsibility we bear to ensure that the world in which our children and our grandchildren live is the one that we would like to see and that actually that in itself is more progressive than simply using up resources based on our needs right now. 
I'll get off my soapbox at this point. That's probably slightly different in tone than you sometimes get. But, you know, obviously it, it, conservation is an issue I personally feel quite strongly about. And I do think there, you know, you can make a pretty good case that it, it, that it is quite a progressive thing when seen in, in that context. I guess much more obviously there are some causes that are supported by philanthropy here in the UK or you know in the US that are avowedly small c conservative or some would argue kind of actively regressive so you know for for every progressive cause uh, so-called progressive cause there are generally people on the flip side who think the opposite and quite often want to support that through philanthropy so you know we've already talked about women's suffrage uh, as a prime example of a progressive social movement well there was also a philanthropically supported women's anti-suffrage league um so prominent people like the writer mary augusta ward um she was involved in setting this up and actually the idea was it was a philanthropic outlet for women who wanted to campaign not to have the vote because they thought that would be a bad thing for the position of women in society when it comes to the US, um, I'd heartily recommend uh, seeking out a recent um, forum on the histville.org uh, website, which deals with history of philanthropy um, and is a great resource in general. But they've just done a really interesting series on the history of conservative philanthropy in the US. Um, and there was particularly there was an article that I found quite shocking about the, the long history of philanthropic support for the far right in, in, in the United States. Um, involving some very sort of um, uh, prestigious, um, well-known names of, of American philanthropy. So Henry Ford, for instance, you know, I, knew, I knew there were questions about his labor practices, but I wasn't really aware of the role that his philanthropy had played in uh, promoting anti-Semitic ideas, um, for instance. Um, and also the history of some well-known sort of conservative U.S. think tanks, such as the Heritage Foundation and others, um, who have been very involved in kind of um, promoting small c conservative ideas and some might say occasionally regressive ideas in in the US and have been extremely influential. Um, They have had very long-standing philanthropic support from from very wealthy people. Um, There are also very well-known examples now of, of wealthy donors who are very avowedly part of the conservative movement so extremely well known are the Koch brothers who made their family fortune in um, natural uh, resource extraction fossil fuels and these sorts of things and have funded a wide range of conservative causes um, and most well known perhaps um, a lot of work um, kind of in the area of climate change denial or trying to kind of challenge the scientific consensus around climate change there are also the, the Mercers, Robert and his uh, daughter Catherine, who are quite secretive donors, but have become very well known through their links with funding Cambridge Analytica and the, the Donald Trump campaign. And they have been for a long time funding a, a large series of conservative causes in the US. And, and an example I think we talked about in a previous episode on education is Betsy DeVos, who whose family um, has enormous wealth. And she, in in her own right, was um, an extremely significant philanthropist focused on quite sort of uh, conservative causes, particularly around education, and obviously has now become Secretary of State for Education uh, in Donald Trump's administration. So has made that shift to having very obvious political power. I think it's it's worth noting as well that 
you could say that these are isolated examples and and actually you know the, the ones that that i'm highlighting here are probably well known because they they are at the more extreme end of the spectrum but i think there's reason not to be too relaxed perhaps about the um, the idea that you know where the balance is between progressive and conservative within philanthropy particularly when it comes to the very wealthy because there is some academic research um interesting stuff actually that shows that the the wealthiest certainly when you're talking about the top 0.1 or 0.01 percent of wealthy have significantly more conservative views than the general population so actually the more that philanthropy uh kind of entrenches the the power of the extremely wealthy the balance will probably sit more towards funding for for conservative rather than progressive causes the other side of, of this argument about whether philanthropy is progressive or not is whether the whole business of philanthropy regardless of what uh, causes are being funded is unintentionally regressive so this covers uh, you know a bunch of issues that we've talked about on this podcast before on previous episodes so firstly the idea that philanthropy is inherently um, part of the problem of inequality because um, it relies on there being a, an unequal distribution of, of wealth within society so that there are people who have and people who have not and that actually it's impossible not to simply entrench that problem by allowing philanthropy to be a means of, of redistribution within society um, and you know we've talked before about whether those problems can be overcome and we'll touch on that in the third section as well as the, the sort of wealth imbalance we, we mentioned just before, um, there is the the problem of the, the kind of plutocratic bias, which is that power just gets concentrated in the hands of the, the wealthiest who are able to dictate the, um, the direction of public conversation and social policy towards things that they're interested in. And if, as the evidence suggests, those things are disproportionately kind of within the conservative agenda then that is probably going to be reflected in the overall balance of philanthropy and its influence on social policy. Also, just in terms of the idea of um, progressiveness um, when it comes to taxation, we touched in a fairly recent episode looking at tax um, on the the idea that actually most of the the tax reliefs offered for uh, charitable donations around the world, certainly the ones that work in the form of a deduction, are actually pretty deeply um, regressive in that the, the those who have pay a higher rate of tax because they have a higher amount of wealth get more of a benefit um, from those um, those deductions than those on lower incomes and actually if you wanted a progressive system of charitable um, incentives you would probably look at a credit system instead but that's sort of by the by Okay, so that's the case uh, against why philanthropy might be progressive. And, you know, we can probably make our own minds up about what we think about that. Uh, In the final section, we're going to go on and have a a little think about what, you know, perhaps we might actually be able to do about this uh, in the future in, in sort of policy terms or within the world of philanthropy. So stay tuned for that. And we are back. Okay, um, this is the final section where, as I said before the break, um, we're going to have a bit of a think about what we might do about some of the challenges that we've raised in the preceding section uh, and whether we can actually use policymaking and kind of change the way people think about philanthropy to make it more progressive. I guess the first thing, if we ask the question, you know, what can we do about making philanthropy more progressive, um, is to say, well, nothing. That might be 
perfectly reasonable answer. There, you know, plenty of people might not think that progress, in the sense that we're talking about it here, is the aim of philanthropy or ever should be. Um, that might either be because the causes that you know they primarily care about are ones that are more to do with sort of heritage and conservation and they don't particularly buy the arguments I put forward before about why that's a form of progress or they may feel that philanthropy and charity is about directly meeting people's needs rather than campaigning for social change you know a a sort of a division of opinion that we've talked about before on the podcast Um, one where I pretty you know I'll put my cards on the table and say I firmly come down on the side of philanthropy as being you know being a force for campaigning and social change at least as much as it is about direct service provision um but some people do disagree with that or you might um be one of the people who uh supports you know small c conservative uh ideas of, of the kind that we um that we outlined above and therefore you think the idea of uh progressive politics is actively distasteful um and again you know that isn't necessarily uh, what I think, and again, I've put my cards on the table in print in a book that I wrote around this, so I probably can't turn back on it now. But you are free to disagree with that. So, the, uh, you know, another point you could say, which maybe is kind of one step back from just challenging the assumption, is to say, oh, well, do you know what? Maybe you might want philanthropy to be progressive, but realistically, what you've got to do is accept that philanthropy um, is just the the aggregation at, at a large scale of the individual choices of donors. And as such, it will reflect the, the glorious profusion of different views within society. Um, and, you know, it will just reflect that balance naturally. And whatever that balance is, you just have to like it or lump it. So this is the kind of, you know, pluralism uh, idea. I think there are a few challenges with that. There, One is, as we said before, there's a, a plutocratic bias there. So actually um, saying that, uh, that you can just be sanguine about this. The reality is that those at the highest levels of wealth um, tend, you know, on average tend to have more conservative, small c conservative views. And so actually there there isn't that balance. And some people might say that's fine because that just reflects the fact that those that's where the, the needle sits in terms of opinion within society. But that's obviously quite an uncomfortable position because it lends more weight to the opinions of those who have more wealth. There, there's also there's an argument um, that was put forward uh, in the US or so around the time of the 2014 midterms. And this is sort of a similar version of the same argument, which is, Actually, do you know what? As long as there are enough wealthy donors giving to uh, Democrat causes uh, and the same number giving to Republican causes, it's fine because they sort of balance each other out. Um, And I compared this in a blog that I wrote to uh, a scene from The Simpsons in which Mr. Burns' um, doctor at the time tells him that, that he's actually remarkably healthy. And Mr. Burns sort of says, oh, you know, does that mean that I, I don't have any illnesses? And his doctor says, well, no, actually, you have all the illnesses. But because they're all, uh, you're saying it's something called three stooges syndrome, where they're all trying to get through this door at the same time. And because they're all struggling against one another, none of them can get through. And that seems to me to be the basis for arguing that you can be totally fine about the idea of pluralistic balance. Um which is, you know, oh, it's fine because no one side can can win out. Um, and that seems to me slightly uh, concerning as a way of making public policy. If you as a government believe 
one way or another, either that progressive ideals are more desirable or the conservative ideals are more desirable. In terms of other things that we can do, some might think, you know, on that basis that the government then has an active role to play in trying to shape philanthropy um, to to move in one direction or another. Um, and that might be by limiting the range of causes that one is able to give to. So obviously the government has within its power um, either to limit the definition of charity um, and how that relates to the tax system so that people are able to give to other things as long as they're legal but won't get a tax benefit for it or in some countries um, they will literally only allow things so they will have a prescribed list of things that are acceptable charitable causes and those are often things that are in line with government priorities if not actually uh, directly owned by uh, the government. Now, that's obviously problematic, coming back to the idea that we've touched on earlier, that many of the best examples that we can see of social progress supported by philanthropy have been things that flew in the face of uh, lack of political will at the time, or even in the early stages, public opinion. And they've gone through a process of using philanthropic support to build public opinion, which has then led to pressure on politicians in the political system and has eventually led to the required legislative change. Um, so I think having a government kind of prescribe from the very outset what can and can't be given to to that degree, um, I find extremely worrying. Um, I suppose the final thing said and something we touched on before when talking about inequality is that one possible pragmatic way around that rather than just sort of saying oh well, philanthropy is inherently um, non-progressive or you know just entrenches inequality and therefore we should have nothing to do with it except the fact that philanthropy is one means of getting money from those who have money to, to those who don't within our society and try to make it more democratic um, in terms of process by doing things like involving beneficiaries through um, participatory grant making so allowing them to kind of direct a certain amount or all of where the money goes using things like direct payments rather than than grants um, in a you know local context having kind of citizen boards so that people in the local area can have some ability to, to feed into what philanthropic funders do um, all of those are things that are already happening in various places and which are kind of gaining quite a lot of, of interest at the moment. And I think there's, you know, there's going to be a lot more focus on that sort of thing in coming years. OK, so I think that brings us to the end of this discussion of uh, whether philanthropy is progressive. And I don't think we've really reached any sort of answer whatsoever. Um, but in my defence, I would say that's because it is actually an extremely difficult and thorny question. Um, if anybody's got any thoughts uh, on this particular question or on any of the other things we've discussed on the podcast, obviously, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Do get in touch. Uh, drop us a line at givingthought at cafonline.org um, or follow me on Twitter or, you know, send me messages. Uh, nice ones generally. But if you want to, you know, insult me, that's also fine. Uh, on Twitter at uh, Rodri underscore H underscore Davis. Um, if you want to read any more, um, certainly about the issues that we've been discussing today, I'll put some links in the show notes to relevant articles. Um, and if you like the kind of things we chat about in the podcast and want to delve into some of them more, check out the Giving Thought section of the CAF website. Uh, other than that, it just remains for me to say thanks for listening and I will see you next time. Bye. Bye.